welcome again. My name is Jason Barnard, and you've been listening to James Warren and High Time from his superb Innocent Bystander album out now on Angel Air. And uh, if, if you're not familiar with James' work, you should be, uh, because he's the singer, songwriter, and co-founder of uh, Stackridge and the Corgis, as well as um, got a, a very notable solo career of his own, of which you heard the first track of the show. James, welcome. Hi there. Glad to be here. In terms of uh, Innocent Bystander, um, was this a collection of recent material you've got, or have you you've got tracks stored up? Really, it's recent material. With one exception, there's a song on the album called Everybody Needs Somebody to Love, which was written in the 1980s with a friend of mine, and I've just had it lying around. And because this Innocent Bystander album has taken the shape of being a sort of celebration of kind of retro sort of pop, the sort of pop styles that I loved when I was younger and I can easily sort of access in my musical consciousness. I I thought this track, Everybody Needs Somebody, deserves to be aired. And I also thought it would be a great track to do live, very sort of cheerful and, yeah, and up and bouncy. So I, I thought it was a worthy contender to put on the album. High time itself feels quite sort of melodic and should should I say beatly? You can say beatly. <laughs> Everyone's favourite, well, certainly my favourite band of all time, and the, the the one band, in fact, which made me want to do music when I was uh, a teenager. Because I, I suppose I, I was thinking really of sort of doing the usual thing of going on to try and get into uni or something. And uh, I, I loved languages, so I, I, I had the idea of being a French teacher or something. But then I discovered guitar and the Beatles and everything changed overnight. And I knew that that was what I wanted to do. Yeah, so High Time, definitely, I suppose, a, a Beatles-flavored track. It was just one of the uh, tunes that just, just popped out, you know, a year or so ago. And... Uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it. I thought it was worth worth trying to to do something with. The second track we've got today is "Have You Seen the Colours?" Also from Innocent Bystander. Is that kind of more sort of psychedelic influenced? Absolutely. Yeah, there was uh, a friend of ours came uh, had a project in mind, a, a sort of treatment for a, a possible TV thing, and that came about about three or four years ago, and. Nothing. I didn't hear much from our, from our friend for a while, for a couple of years, in fact. So I presumed that uh, the TV thing wasn't going to be taken up. So we'd written these couple of songs, Andy Davis and I, Colours, and another song called That's What You Do To Me. And I didn't want to just leave the songs sort of, you know, stored away in a cupboard and never used. I thought, why not use them? Again, to me, they fitted into my sort of concept for this Innocent Bystander album of a collection of songs which celebrated the sort of songwriting that I loved when I was growing up. And the psychedelia thing was definitely something I loved. So Colours, or Have You Seen the Colours, is, is one of those songs which which was a, a definite sort of psychedelic celebration. Is that a, a conscious uh, reference to the move we've got in that song? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. That that, that was a, a bit of sort of self-indulgent fun on my part. Uh, yeah, I Can Hear the Grass Grow is one of those songs which uh, I, I loved when I was a teenager.
Now, uh, James, we were talking about with your your new record, so some of the tracks kind of almost hark back to earlier days. Uh, so I'd like to hark back to the first Stackridge album and uh, a song of yours, which I think was the only single released from that eponymous record, and that's Dora the Female Explorer. Jolly good. I've read that um, yourself and Andy Cresswell Davis were kind of thinking about turning some of the material from that record into a cartoon book for children. <laughs> I think that was one of the ideas that was sort of in the air at the time. Yeah, we were very young. You have to remember, I think, we were, well, I was only about 19, I think, when uh, we did that first Stackridge album. So very, very green, didn't know anything about the music business or or about how to sort of try and make a career out of being a musician or anything. So we had all lots of sort of uh, off-the-wall ideas and, and yeah, didn't quite know sort of what direction we wanted to write songs in. And really, we sort of let ourselves fall into the, a bit of a trap, I suppose, of being totally self-indulgent and writing any kind of stuff we fancied writing, whether it be sort of 12-minute instrumentals or other kinds of weird stuff and Dora the Female Explorer I think was a a, a lyric idea that uh, one of the other guys in the band had and we we thought we you know we could turn it into into a jolly pop song so uh, yeah so there we are Dora the Female Explorer Go will find adventure right there at your feet. 
Now we go on to um, the second Stackridge album, There Is No Refuge. You seem to be quite prolific in this period. Mm, I was, yeah. Also, I was, even for the, the first album before that, I'd, I had loads of songs. But as I say, I was very young and I kind of wrote the most wildly eccentric stuff, I think, in those days. But this particular song you're referring to, There Is No Refuge, the, the words are all uh, inspired by the sort of philosophy sort of stuff I was into at the time and especially the kind of philosophies of you know Buddhist kind of stuff you know where whereby you you know you you don't sort of get involved in in any kind of belief systems but but you you kind of really work on yourself and and sort of find out for yourself and you can't sort of rely on any authority outside of yourself that that was a sort of central sort of philosophy concept I was really into at that time and and, and I still actually uh, am that way inclined now so so that that was the, the sort of lyrical idea behind it and musically it's it's a very kind of uh, it reminds me when I listen when I think of it now as a kind of Edwardian's parlor song it's it's quite sort of uh, antiquated but uh, quite sweet and I, I was very nervous at that time about singing in the studio so to me all, all my singing in those days the first Sacred album and the second album friendliness for me, it was all all very kind of very self-conscious and very mannered. And uh, when I listen to it now, I find it a bit sort of uncomfortable because I, I remember how how sort of embarrassed I was about sort of singing. I think in a studio, but but yeah, it's a sweet little thing from uh, from a time when I was very young and still very naive. My sixteenth birthday Doubts had plagued my sleep Each yawning daybreak Found me hopeless Writhing underneath the sheets I search for years To find myself Some purpose to Stepping through the woodland 
Next, um, we have a very famous Stackridge track, which I think was only released as a single in, in this period, and it's Do the Stanley. That seems to really be a bit of an anthem and, and captures a bit more of the sort of free-spirited nature of the group. Yeah, I love the song. I, I, I can't understand why it wasn't a hit. I, I know that some people just say, oh, it's just like a, a throwaway novelty number, but... To me, it was like in the spirit of what the Beatles used to do, where on the same album you could have mad psychedelic stuff like Tomorrow Never Knows or She Said, She Said, and then you could have a lovely children's song like uh, Yellow Submarine or and such like. You know, to me, it was it was just sort of, you know, in in that spirit of trying anything. And I I, I thought it was a great song to the Stanley. I mean, it was um, Mutter, the you know the, the flautist in Stackridge, and for, for quite some time he was the sort of main person on stage, really. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was mainly his creation. I think I just helped out with some of the words and so on. But it, it's a great track, and I I couldn't understand why, why I didn't make it in the chart for perhaps it will it should be re-released and perhaps it could be a hit in 
greatest thing that I've ever seen It's followed me around the world to every place I've been I took it up to London to show it to the Queen And what does she do? Next we go to 1974, a track from the Man in the Bowler Hair album and uh, one of your songs, Dangerous Peak. And working with George Martin at Air Studios, that must have been one hell of an experience. Oh, unbelievable. It was like a fantasy that had come to life and you had to keep pinching yourself that this was really happening. Quite amazing. I mean, the recording process was incredibly quick compared to what happens these days. I mean, it took us, we, we took 10 days to record that whole album at Air Studios. And, you know, it takes me like 10 days to think of sort of, you know, two lines of a song these days without recording it even. So it is an entirely different era, but uh, he was great to work with, just like we hoped he would be, a perfect English gentleman and uh, just effortlessly musical. And it was just fantastic fun. And the Dangerous Bacon was one of those uh, obvious nods to Beatles sort of rock songs, which I, I, of course, adored at the time and still do. And it was such great fun writing the words because at the time we had this flat in Brixton and me and a couple of other guys in the band used to come back from gigs and then sit up for a couple of hours just sort of writing words to any new songs that we had lying around. And, and that was how Dangerous Bacon was written, the three of us sort of throwing in mad ideas. And, uh, and it was just such great fun. So I have good memories of that song. A perfect education estimating the calculus was all a piece to me.
James, um, there seemed to be a bit of a split in Stackridge. It seemed to sort of splinter off and um, a lot of you guys parted ways. That's right, yeah, yeah. I think it was, uh, I mean, groups are incredibly difficult. Uh, I, I, I don't know why uh, <laughs> Why I ever went in, you know, into the sort of, well, like, like everyone else, I think, has been a part of a group. You know, eventually you think, why did I ever sort of spend all that time, energy and emotional sort of, roller coaster you know being involved in a band it's just so much easier not to say yeah we are a band kind of thing and that's how i feel today most definitely so yeah so it was inevitable with stackridge because we were such different personalities and uh irreconcilably different as people really so it was no wonder it was a wonder really that we kept going even for a few years because we were playing constantly touring up and down the country so it was like being married to you know, five or six other people that you had virtually nothing in common with apart from wanting to, to go on stage and, and perform music. So it was incredibly difficult, really. So no wonder we split around that time. And would I be right to say that yourself uh, joining up with Andy in the Corgis was a conscious attempt to be more commercial? Definitely. So there was like a, a, a three or four year hiatus between the ending of the original Stackridge band and Andy and I deciding to try and do something together again. So it was like from 1974 until like 77, 78 when we got together again. And yeah, the the idea behind getting together again and trying to do music was uh, was that this time we would try and be much more radio friendly in whatever we wrote rather than being as Stackridge was completely madly eccentric and doing whatever we felt like doing no matter whether anyone wanted to play it on the radio or not we thought well let's try and for a change be more concise in our songwriting try and write sort of three or four minute songs that are radio friendly so that was that was definitely the concept behind the Corgis. And I've read that 
Everybody's Got to Learn Sometime was a song that came very quickly to you? It did. It was like one of those, I, I was write, trying to write songs all the time in, in that period. Every day I, I would spend as much time as I could trying to come up with ideas for songs. And I think it was, it was just a, a very lucky, you know, on a Sunday morning I got up, went to the piano, played that chord sequence, and, and those words came very quickly as well. And it was just just one of those songs. I have to say, though, that despite the fact that the song did come very effortlessly, in my mind at that time, I was thinking, it'd be great if I could try and come up with some sort of ballad that would have a, a American appeal as well, like a transatlantic rock ballad sort of thing. So that was definitely in my head. And everybody's got to learn with the, the, the tune that came out, you know, inspired by that that concept. And it's now a, a standard? It seems to be, doesn't it? Which is just wonderful and just, you know, uh, unbelievable that one could, you know, hit upon something, an idea which uh, appeals to so many people. Just fantastic, yeah. Change your heart Look around you Change your heart It will astound you I need your loving Like the sunshine And everybody's gotta learn sometimes Everybody's got to learn sometime Everybody's got to learn sometime Everybody's gotta learn sometimes 
moving on to our next track is uh, the Corgis again, and it's uh, Dumb Waiters. It's got quite a popular sound, a bit of a new wave kind of edge. It has, hasn't it? Yeah. Again, that was written around the same sort of period, 79, 80. And you have to remember at the time you had like bands like Blondie and as Punky's field, you know, very kind of garagey sort of sound to a lot of bands. And uh, Dumb Waiters was definitely one of those tracks influenced by that mood that was in the air at the time, musical mood that was in the air, something very kind of basic, garagey and, and rocky. And but but with some I, I think interesting quirky lyrics. Again, a bit of a split in the group. Yeah, I mean, as, as I again, just harks back to what I said about Sacrage, really, that we are such different personalities that we, we, it, it's, it's so hard for us to want to sort of keep working together for long periods of time. So inevitably, there was, yeah, Andy and I just couldn't sort of stand the, the, the thought of being in the same studio again together. And... and uh, after a couple of years of that. So, um, yeah, so we went our own ways. A song um, from, I think, your first solo album, Burning Questions, um, 
that I'd like to play is uh, They Don't Believe in Magic. I mean, that's a, that's a really lovely song. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was um, that was a great time recording that album. Uh, I, there's a lovely chap that I met at the time called Nick Magnus, a keyboard player who I haven't seen for years now. Lovely chap. And he worked so hard on that album with me. It's, it's very synthesizer-driven, that album. And uh, I, I think if I was doing any of it again, I'd probably use more I'd, more real instruments rather than quite so much sort of synthesizer, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, it, it was. I, I, I like that song. It was. It was one of uh, one of the ones that you know. I, I, I hoped we could perhaps have, have as a single or something. I can't remember if uh, Sonnet Records released it as a single. They might have done. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice one. I agree. Yeah. 
going back to the Corgis, um, you regrouped with Andy again by the sort of early 90s. The track I'd like to play is This World's For Everyone, which feels quite a sort of anthemic song. How did you get him back with Andy Happen as well as that particular song? Well, again, I can't remember the circumstances of, of what, why don't we try and do an album, how it came about. But I know that I'd, I'd been doing gigs by that time for a long time with a, an old friend of mine called John Baker, who used to be in the band that became Tears for Fears. We always uh, had a good sort of vocal blend, John and I. And I, I think it seemed like a, an idea that we could perhaps consider doing a Corgis album with John and I sort of sharing the vocals and, and the, the blend might, might be a more sort of commercially appealing thing than perhaps just me singing or me and Andy singing all the tracks. And yeah, I, I can't remember now, but we, and, you know, we got Andy into the idea as well. And This World's For Everyone was just one of those songs that I happened to write at the time. I, I, I think it was a kind of world music was really sort of big at the time. And, and so anything with kind of drums and more of a global for concept in the lyric was sort of in the air at the time, and, uh, which, which I loved anyway. And so This Was For Everyone is one of those kind of tracks. We look above to the starlit sky We touch our hearts and be still But deep inside we are haunted men who talk of brotherhood as we kill free
Next, James, we have uh, Stackridge again and the song It's a Fascinating World from the Something for the Weekend album. And I think that's from the late 90s. Now, uh, in the 90s, it seemed like um, there was a bit of a sort of head of steam for for Stackridge again with the re-release of... uh, those records in a CD format and, and sort of fans asking for the group to reform. Is that something you recognize? Yeah. It, this particular album that you've mentioned, something for the weekend was, was recorded. I recorded it in my own sort of studio in like 1999, I think I can't remember the year it was actually released, but yeah. And at that time, it was no one of those times when uh, Andy and I weren't working together, but I was working with, uh, I, I got Mike Evans, the original Stackridge violin player, in to play on tracks. And I was working with a, a lovely chap called John Miller, a fantastic keyboard player that I'd met shortly before then. And he and I wrote together most of the tracks that comprise the album, Something for the Weekend. And I think this particular song you're going to play, It's a Fascinating World, was, was actually one of my own. But most of the other tracks, I think, were written with John Miller. And he, he made a, a tr- tremendous contribution to this album. And I, I love this album, actually. And I, I'd, I'd love to sort of perform more of the songs from this album on stage. It's, I think it's a very overlooked Stackridge album, cause I, because I suppose it's only sort of me and uh, you know, one, or, you know, one or two other players in the original band coming in occasionally to do bits of stuff. But it's essentially my own sort of thing. Um, but I think it's an overlooked album, and I love a lot of the stuff on there, and I hope to to play it live soon if I can. Lovely, and that particular song again seems to have a bit more of a maybe a late sixties feel. I think so. Yeah, again, I was sort of freely sort of indulging my liking of sixties psychedelia on this track. She hangs there gazing at her navel And wonders why the earth is spinning round Floating high above the table Rejoicing in the miracle of the water My shoes were becoming rather wet I laughed as I thought of Ryan's daughter The nicest hydrophobe I've ever met Oh, it's a fascinating world Oh, such a fascinating world Oh, it's a fascinating world Life. 
Now we get to um, another of your solo releases, uh, James. We've got Love, Death and Photographs from Jim's Easy Listening album. Am I right to say this is a bit of a personal song? It feels quite personal. It does contain some elements of how I've felt at various times down the years. But yeah, it does, definitely. It's not totally just about myself, but, but certainly a lot of it does contain personal elements. And... I wanted to write a very kind of simple song with just piano, essentially, but not not to sort of worry about it being too sort of friendly. I wanted it to be kind of a bit more kind of edgy and sort of openly sort of emotional, if you like, uh, more so than perhaps I usually write. And uh, this was, was one of those attempts. And I, I really like the song, and uh, I, I, I'm glad to have it aired occasionally. And photographs Single copies Left unsigned Smiling faces Underlined Do I see or am I blind To what we are Defrost the fridge And wish upon a star Love Death and photographs Load the film Flash the light Instant replay Black and white Do I mention now The color of her eyes Beyond the rainbow God is baking pies So hard might have been so hard dying to the higher plan remaining what I was since memories began an empty page waiting for a story Now, James, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the final bow. That particular record is a, a, a double uh, CD set of the final ever Stackridge show in Bristol, which I think was back in late 2015. Yeah, I think it was December 2015, wasn't it? Mm. And um, was the idea just to go out with a sort of a big, big bang, you know, a home show, playing all the songs that you'd like to yeah, finish off definitely. with? definitely. 
definitely, yeah. We did two nights at, at the venue in Bristol, because Bristol, of course, is where Stackridge started off originally in 1970. So it was great, and it was a, a really lovely um, really lovely event on, on both nights. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I've picked um, one of the sort of latter Stackridge tracks, and that's something about the Beatles, which kind of wholly owns up to your, your fondness for the Fab Four. Indeed, doesn't it? Yeah. And in fact, it, it first appeared on that album we were talking about earlier, Something for the Weekend, that, that Stackridge album from 1999. But then, funnily enough, or oddly enough, I should say, we decided to do it, redo it, re-record it as a as a kind of as a Corgi's track, and, and we, uh, Angel Air released it as a as a Corgi's single in the early 2000s because it did lend itself to being a sort of radio playable sort of pop song. We all thought so. So why not do it as as a single? So uh, so we recorded it twice: once as a, a Stackridge song and. Uh, Secondly, as a as a Corgi song, but um, I, I, yeah, I, it, it does certainly um, yeah. The lyrics are certainly about my fondness for the Beatles and and the era, the sort of late sixties era, especially.
It's interesting you talk about different songs with the Stackridge uh, banner and, and all, all the Corky's banner. And the next song is Boots and Shoes, which is from your final Bristol show, two CD set. Um, but Boots and Shoes is originally a Corgi song? It was, yeah. It was one of the first songs that Andy Davis and I did on the uh, the first Corgi's album, one of the first songs that we uh, we got together. And it just... I mean, we felt it could be a a great live track. And so when we were doing the Stackridge shows and when we wanted uh, another song to include in the repertoire that was a bit more kind of rocky and sort of good to to, to play live, then Boots and Shoes was one of those songs that came back into our heads, you know. And yeah, it's good. It's it's a good title. And uh, musically, it's it's a good chorus, I think. Good fun track. Yeah, Boots and Shoes does really work well with the sort of new treatment. I think so, yeah. In fact, I have to tell you, that um, I'm not sure how many people uh, know this, but the, the version that, we, that appears on the first Corgi's album of Boots and Shoes was not how we originally wanted the, the song to be uh, arranged. The, the way that Stackridge do it on this uh, final bow show is in fact the way that we were originally going to record it as the Corgi's track. But at the last minute, we got into this idea of, oh, what, what, why, why don't we sort of do a completely new treatment of it? And so we ended up recording uh, Boots and Shoes on the Corgi's album in a completely different way. But But in fact, the original way we wanted to do it was the way that Sacrage do it in the live shows. So uh, we were getting right back to the to the, the basic idea. I think it works better in, in this format. It's a bit more direct. I think so too. Boots and shoes!
The, the final song of the show today and of course I had to play a track from Innocent Bystander I think this is also the final track from that album as well it's uh, I Just Want You To Tell Me that's it, that's right yeah, and that's just a, a lovely way to close the record and the show you know, a lovely sort of ballad great, yeah yeah, thanks, it was a, uh, a song that came very quickly, just a, a guitar based song and you say i i think it it does have a nice sort of closing role to play on on the innocent bystander album and we try to keep it as simple as possible and as direct as possible and uh yeah yeah i'm pleased with it before we go is this your sort of focus now your your solo career and potentially playing some live shows or is there still life in in the corgis or is it just mainly um your solo material now which is your focus well, in the sleeve notes of the Innocent Bystander album, I, there was a question and answer section. And I, I was asked that very question. Do, do I, can I see uh, a Stackridge or Corky's reunion in the near future? And I, I think, quite honestly, the, the answer's got to be no, because when you get to my age, you, you realize that people aren't going to change. And, and I am what I am. And Andy Davis is what he is. And I, I think we've tried for about 30 or 40 years to work together. But basically, on a, on a personal level, we just don't gel. And I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy just to just from now on, just to sort of work with people that, you know, for whom, you know, everything works. And and I'm sure Andy Davis feels the same. Uh, I think he's already found a project which he's you know very happy with. So so yeah, for me uh, from now on, you know, it's just going to be taking it easy and having a good time and 
having fun, which wasn't always the case in in you know in, in the old groups. And uh, I, I think we gave it a, a good go. We, we, Forty years of doing Stackridge and the Corgis on and off. I, I think there's plenty enough time to devote to those projects. So I'm very happy to try something new. The album's already had some really good reviews as well. I've uh, apparently there have been some good reports. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, a couple of magazines, I think, are already going to be printing some very favorable reviews. So, fingers crossed, yeah. <laughs> Should I look out for some live dates, hopefully, coming over the next year? In 2018, most definitely, yeah. I'd love to do it. Well, have a lovely uh, the rest of the day, uh, James, and thank you again. Thank you so much. That's fantastic. Don't know why I always make you cry Show me how you feel My heart is there to steal Only you can find a way Tonight We can be more than this Tonight We can hold
Show.